Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cinema Joes, the podcast where three average Joes discuss the significant topics in movie culture. My name is Justin, and I'm joined here by Alex. Hey, dude. Hey, Justin. And we are also here with Noah. Hey, Noah. Are we average or are we above average? Well, I say we aspire to both, but uh, <laughs> I think we're lucky if we can, at least if I can get to average. But uh, anyway. <laughs> what are um, we talking about? <laughs> setting the tone, Alex, setting the tone. <laughs> Debating if we're actually average Joes. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> I think only our listeners can answer that question. We'll leave it to them. We are certainly not Joes, though. That's... that's <laughs> Apologies to all Joes. In any case, this is the podcast where we talk about, uh, or we typically talk about a recent movie release and a broader topic related to that release. We're going to do things a little bit differently on this particular episode. We're going to actually pay off a bet. Uh, each year we do uh, an Oscar bet. We see who can guess the most, uh, the largest number of categories, and uh, whoever wins gets to pick a film for the three of us to watch. And it can be Pretty much anything that is available for the three of us to watch. So since the winner of that was uh, me, uh, I decided to choose. <laughs> Very humble of you. <laughs> two points, Justin. Only two points. Calm down. I decided to choose a film that I actually I had not seen, uh, but was on my list to see. As people know, I tend to watch a lot of films from the previous year in the current year. I decided to choose Atlantics, the film from uh, Maddie Diop. Uh, and actually a film that was very well acclaimed and was especially acclaimed by one of the hosts on this podcast. I believe, Alex, you had it in your top 10. From I sure year. did. So that was also in my mind and uh, one of the reasons why I chose it. Uh, so we'll be getting into that a little bit later. But before we do that, let's talk about uh, what we've been watching recently. Uh, let's start with you, Noah. What's uh, What's been good for you recently? I think it's important for our listeners to know that every so often um, on our, our messages and chat boards with each other, we'll go back, like we'll, we'll circle back to the rise of Skywalker and just how thoroughly unsatisfying it was to any real Star Wars fan. No, to anyone, yes, not just to any true. real that's, Star Wars fan. Let's, that's fair. Let's not <clears throat> dive into that mm -hmm. toxic mess. <laughs> so I... I I've been it's just a bad movie. Yeah. So I've been treating myself and I've been going back through uh, the old Star Wars novels from the old expanded universe. And I've read the ones my, my personal favorites up through the Clone Wars. And then once I finished those uh, a couple days ago, I was like, OK, I've, I'm, ba I'm, up, I'm back up to the uh, the Clone Wars in the Star Wars timeline. So I'm going to go back and rewatch the original animated Clone Wars miniseries i'm gonna call it that aired on cartoon network uh from 2003 to 2005 and was deliberately designed to be a tie-in directly to uh revenge of the sith or episode three uh because the uh the end moment of this animated series is the, the exact moment where revenge of the sith the live action movie starts off uh, and it is it was animated by and produced and written and directed by the same crew that at the same time was doing the Samurai Jack series, uh, which is also one of the uh, easily one of the best animated shows, American or otherwise, from the early 2000s. So I had watched Well, it's basically it's very hard to find now. It was released in sort of like 10 minute increments on Cartoon Network. Uh, 
but there are a lot of of ways nowadays where where people have spliced it together in one two hour and ten minute long film basically and you can watch it at like you can just you can watch the episodes through basically as a film of its own right uh and i'd only seen it once uh so i i'd already decided okay once i get back up to my clone wars novels then i want to make sure i i go back and revisit this movie and it was so much fun to go back and rewatch it like i'd had good memories of the one time that i i'd actually seen the whole series and that was all reinforced when I went back and revisited it. It's basically, there are a couple of big storylines, like the whole climax of the movie is the the raid where Palpatine is captured um, that leads into the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. Uh, but up until that point, it's really, it's, it's really a lot of short stories um, of each of the main characters going through specific adventures or specific experiences. But with the focus being on further establishing Anakin as a character and, and certainly doing a much better job than the live action movies did of setting up exactly how Anakin was slowly like as he got older he did get more mature and he got more powerful but he like the the little little pieces were being put in place that would lead to his fall and having revisited now I would hands down say that it's just as good as The Empire Strikes Back or The Last Jedi which I consider to be the two best of the live action Star Wars movies I think there's a couple reasons for that. You know, one is a big plus for me is the fact that it is animated and it's done in the same 2D animation style of Samurai Jack because this is the same production team. And I think that's a great look for the Star Wars universe. The whole thing looks great. Uh, Much like with Samurai Jack, the sound design is excellent, especially in the action scenes. There's a real attention to to detail and to small moments, even just animating little facial expressions in the characters as a way to convey... An emotion or disapproval or happiness or frustration and on top of that um i think the fact that it's animated actually allows a smoothness and a dynamic to the action especially regarding the jedi that i think a lot of the live action movies lacked with some notable noticeable exceptions um all of the action scenes especially the sequence where general grievous is introduced which is almost like alien like an alien-esque psychological thriller sequence where you can only hear his footsteps and the jedi the trapped jedi are literally going insane trying to guess uh what's coming for them uh there are a lot of sequences both action 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 sequences and non-action sequences that are almost entirely without dialogue where everything is conveyed through the visuals and of how the characters move with each other and it's just it's filled with that it's it's filled with all these incredible touches that were not necessary you didn't have to do that reaction shot of Obi-Wan or Anakin as a character leaves a room, or you didn't have to devote as much time to this particular part of a fight scene. But the fact that they did showed a real reverence and appreciation for what they were working with um, and a real desire to make the best, to tell the best Star Wars stories they possibly could. And I think, I think anyone who likes good Star Wars storytelling owes it to themselves to at some point and in some way uh, to watch this miniseries. Yeah, I've certainly heard, uh, a lot of uh, good things about this about this series and uh <clears throat> i mean probably most notably from you <laughs> but from other people as well and uh i think that's what really struck me i remember when i first saw this was a thing was that animation style that you mentioned just because it seemed so different and like i don't know it's 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 interesting as just hearing about some of the things you're talking about with this series and I think with the Star Wars ex- expanded universe, 
I think there's a part of me, especially when I was sort of going through a lot of that when I was younger, that really yeah. liked that it was very different from the films, but still tapped into a lot of the ideas that have been brought up in the original trilogy. And, um, and really, I think, proved that it could be a, um, a mythology as well as, as a, as a uh, film franchise. That's part of why Star Wars still means a lot to me is because I think it, it can be so much and it has the potential, you know, for, for good or ill. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, it sounds like this show is just like a reflection of that, which, uh, so it's obviously something I need to check out and, uh, I certainly will. Yeah. I also really, this time around, I really appreciated the fact that there's so much more time given to the non-human Jedi, uh, where they, they are, they are their own characters, um, like Shakti, who is this one non-human Jedi, who is the primary person fighting against Grievous in the, in the climax of the movie. Um, I, I feel like it was, it might've, it might've been an unconscious decision on Lucas's part, but it also just might have have had to do with practical budget and effect concerns that in the live action movies, you know, it's it's with the exception of Yoda, it's the human Jedi who are like front and center. But in here, there are a lot of amazing sequences where the non-human Jedi characters are given a chance to shine and both use the force and also use powers specific to their species that the live action movies never even touch on. Well, that's one of the things that the Clone Wars television series is most well known for. I think it's. Have you ever watched any of that? I've only seen snippets of the the CGI show, like little scenes here and there. It seems like, given your interest, that is an area that you would want to go next. Um, and you know that TV show is just it's its final season has just uh come out on disney plus for people who are interested in catching up with that so um you know i think there's like four or five seasons prior to this one that had aired previously on cartoon network many years ago and then it was in hiatus for a long time and it was supposed to come back on netflix and then it got delayed and then disney plus came out and they decided to put it on disney plus instead so now they're fight those fans are finally getting mm. access to that last season after so long um and it actually covers like the exact same ground that this miniseries it sounds like is covering yeah but more more expanded and with more details well we definitely uh love talking about star wars on this podcast that's for sure <laughs> uh let's see what you've been watching alex what's been good for you uh well something a little bit different from star wars uh a few weeks ago we had our guest uh george come on the show to talk about invisible man and he raved about how much he loved emma which is the new mm. uh the new jane austen adaptation uh, which came out a number of weeks ago and is currently available uh, to rent on VOD thanks to this uh, terrible time that we live in. Uh, and uh, <laughs> this film directed by Autumn DeWild and written by Eleanor Catton. It stars Anya Taylor-Joy as the titular Emma and just like a host of incredible uh, character actresses and character actors from all around Britain, um, <laughs> uh, including people that we love, like Bill Nighy and Miranda Hart, and uh, some people that are definitely on the rise, like uh, Josh O'Connor, who was just so great at this and so great in so many other roles where he is so very different from how he is here. Um, 
but yeah, so I checked this out on that recommendation and on the recommendation of a few other people. Uh, it, I ble- it was the last film that I had the opportunity to see in theaters uh, before theaters were shut down. And I was really glad that I squeezed it in because it was really it was a really fun movie. I had, of course, seen Clueless, which is the the film that is also based on the Jane Austen novel, but I had never read the novel and I never seen uh, some of the other versions that were closer adaptations like the Gwyneth Paltrow one from the 90s. So the content was fresh for me, but I I always enjoyed Pride and Prejudice when we read it in school. And so I consider myself a Jane Austen fan, even though I'm not well-versed in her work. Uh, and this was just really great. I think that um, I would recommend it for everyone. I think Anya Taylor-Joy really does an excellent job in this role, in a role that we haven't really seen her play before, or at least I haven't seen her play before. I feel like she plays a lot of like disaffected youths uh, in her rise to uh, stardom uh, in roles such as like the witch and split and uh you know if new mutants ever came out i believe that would fit as well uh and here she just plays something very different where she's just this kind of like uh upper class girl she's either nicer than she acts or not as nice as she thinks she is uh <laughs> but she's kind of in that in between stage in her like early uh adulthood where she's trying to still figure out who she is as a person and how to kind of navigate that uh and i mean that's probably the most anodyne way of explaining it but <laughs> what's really interesting about this performance is that it really gives uh, Anya Taylor-Joy the opportunity to kind of play someone who's a bit thornier than you would think uh, for this type of costume drama. You know, like you think that the heroine in a movie like this would be very like uh, noble and, you know, uh, proper. And and that's those are things that this girl aspires to be and uh, often falls flat because she has a little bit of a mean streak in her. Uh, so it's kind of like this interesting balance between uh what your expectations and uh, something that's a bit more uh consistent with what you would think of as like a high school movie like mean girls like it makes a lot of sense how you could why somebody would watch this film and adapt it into a movie like clueless like it works really really well in that respect but the cast is just really as i said is really tremendous anya taylor joy has a lot of uh nuance to her performance where you really see the person underneath the facade in a way that i think is really exceptional and the people she gets to bounce up against are just so fun like mia goth is the girl who she kind of who's a bit frumpy and a bit uh has a bit tactless and she kind of takes her under her wing um ostensibly because she's like this nice noble person who wants to look out for this girl that other people are are overlooking and uh those noble intents are kind of questioned and it seems like it's more of a example of someone who is pretty narcissistic trying to seem as though they are caring and nurturing and uh, want what's best for this other person, but really they just are looking at them as an extension of themselves and not really honoring who they are as a, as a human being. And that's a really interesting dynamic that is just like the undercurrent of the entire film because uh, the big crust, the big thrust of the film is, is the Mia Goff character, uh, trying to find love um, while Emma uh, is trying to facilitate that in ways that are oftentimes uh, misguided. Um, 
and as a result, we have a lot of very handsome British men, uh, many of whom look quite similar to each other. So it can sometimes be hard to tell who we're talking about at any given time. But um, as I said, uh, <laughs> um, Johnny Flynn is, plays the main, uh, probably like this, the most important male character, uh, George Knightley. He like lives in her household, uh, in Emma's household, but also has his own uh, mansion elsewhere and uh Johnny Flinders plays it really, really well, where like you could tell that there's so much emotion underneath this kind of like back and forth that's always very fun. Um and uh when there's a there's a moment late in the film where Emma really lets him down and uh and it's really crushing and, and Johnny Flynn really delivers that well. Um but I think that the star of this movie, outside of Anya Taylor Joy, is definitely Josh O'Connor, who plays the uh the hateable Mr. Elton. <laughs> and uh he just is he just gets such great opportunities for uh for comedy in, th- in the film. He's he's quite funny in a variety of ways and and it's just so striking to see him in a role like this when previously I've seen him as like the very uh austere and repressed uh Char- Prince Charles in um the crown uh, season three and prior to that the very like angry and uh repressed in a whole in like a violent way um in god's own country uh so it's just like such a remarkable range that this actor has i can't wait to see what he does next um but yeah overall i would say i really enjoyed this film i think it's a lot of fun i think that you could definitely do much worse if you're looking for things to watch while you're stuck inside I did have just one question for you, Alex. I It seemed almost to me like the way that they were selling this movie was almost like they were trying to make it look like the favorite. Uh, just uh, with that combination of like <laughs> no. period piece and no, sort of irreverent drama. Would you not say that they're... I would not say that's a great com- comparison. Okay, uh, I was going to ask how I, the I actual love... movie plays. Like, how would you describe the tone mm. of it? it? So the the tone is very similar to what you would expect from a Jane Austen adaptation. There's a lot of dry okay. humor. Um, there's some kind of outsized comedic performances, but within a very kind of stuffy context. So it's mm-hmm. still kind of like it's modulated in that way. Um, and there's right. not like mm. an acidic, uh, pe- like pessimism to or nihilism to the setting like there is okay. in the favorite <laughs> yeah okay so is no, there they, is there a mind-boggly awesome dance sequence like in the favorite well there is a very long dance sequence uh but it is not at all like what is in the favorite it is just very typical uh you know uh because that's that that victorian dance dancing its own oscar yeah no it's there's it's not like that at all okay good to know yeah awesome it's a nice well, time at the movies i would say yeah hopefully the the film that i'm going to recommend i think is a nice time at the movies but uh it's uh, it sounds quite different from the film that you've described i'm going to recommend a film called ash's purest white uh, oh that's a really good film this is one that uh, it's from uh director zhao Zhenka, who is a, a very incredibly like internationally regarded filmmaker um his last film was mountains made to part which i have seen as well um i actually think i like this one even better than that one 
Uh, but it does like that one. It stars uh, Zhao Tao, who is also the filmmaker's wife in real life. Uh, and it's an epic because it covers this broad swath of time, uh, pretty much from 2001 to the modern day. It takes place in China and follows this uh, woman. And I deeply apologize because I'm probably about to mispronounce a lot of Chinese names. Uh, so apologies in advance. Uh, she plays a woman named 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 Chow, who uh, is essentially a uh, a gangster's. I guess you, I guess they used to call it like a gun mall. Uh, she's like uh, the girlfriend of this pretty high profile gangster. Uh, named Bin, played by Lao Fan, who is also excellent in this movie. Uh, and uh, through a sort of series of circumstances, she is arrested for essentially uh, for possessing a firearm, which she basically unveils because her boyfriend is being beaten to death in front of her. And the rest of the film is about her after she goes, she, she doesn't reveal the fact that the gun is not her own. And the rest of the film is about her trying to get back to her boyfriend. And uh, even as it's very clear to us that he wants, seems to want nothing to do with her. Um, but that gets even more complicated as things happen to him. So I think what's so strong about this film is just the amount of flux in it and how these characters adapt or do not adapt to their new circumstances. I usually have a problem with films that cover such a broad swath of time because it, it always to me feels like pieces are missing. I think that's just something for me naturally that I, I just have a problem with sometimes. And here I didn't have that problem because the film does such a good job of showing you what that time that we're missing has meant to all these characters. There's a really remarkable moment um, after Chow has gotten out of jail where she's talking to... <laughs> essentially Bin's new new girlfriend they basically have like this awkward small talk and uh she the girlfriend asks Chow how asked her how long she was in jail and there's this just hold on Zhao's face as she you just see all of that history everything that moment has meant to her the awkwardness of this moment you just see it all hit her and it's just like that tells you everything you need to know about all that time that we've missed. And I think the film does that really remarkably. I think it's also interesting that so much of this film appears to be about a woman who feels like she needs this other person in her life. And the film is about proving to us that she is able to do so much on her own, that she has this, this self-reliance and autonomy that she seems to even surprise herself about and, and, and learn about herself in the process. Um, there's a heavy amount of this movie that's just almost like a con movie where she's basically working, working people for money for things, basic necessities that she needs. And it's just, you're just like rooting for her the entire time. Um, and I think also the, the, the thing I want to really compliment about the direction here is that the set pieces in this, like the scene I mentioned before, where, uh, her boyfriend is essentially being beaten to death is actually co almost choreographed like a musical, um, which makes it sound like if that makes it sound like considering this is about gangs, I don't want to say that it's like West Side Story because it's not. It's <laughs> no. like this is brutal. Like the violence is brutal. Like it's it's. There's no doubt you're watching combat. <laughs> I want to be very clear about yeah. that. But, but it is beautiful. It's incredibly beautiful, and the way the revelation of the gun happens, she almost does like a little pirouette 
as she fires this gun. And it's like this exclamation point at the end of this sequence. It just, or, or just, I guess, maybe less of an exclamation point than a period. It just makes everything else stop. The way that he choreographs a lot of this, almost like a musical, there's a little echoes of that, I would say, in something like his previous film. Um, I, I feel like he could do if he wanted to. I don't know if he has before, but Zhao Zhenka could definitely do a musical if he wanted to, because there's a lot of ways in which this film feels like that. Um, it's mm. just, I just can't describe it. Just like following this one character that you love so much and just believe that she deserves so much better than everyone in her life. It's the way that it sort of almost works like this undulation of different of of high times and low times, and yet still comes down to um, this person really figuring out who they are. I think it's just it's just incredibly powerful, and um, I'm sure there's a lot in here that I'm missing because there's I'm sure there's a lot in here about the way that Chinese society has changed in those years from the early 2000s to the current day, um, which is reflected in. Uh, the, just the different settings that we're getting, even not having like a real background for that kind of stuff. I just was totally swept away on this emotional journey. Um, so I would def highly recommend this film. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it uh, deserves to be seen. Yeah, I saw this film a couple months ago and it just, on the recommendation of many people who I respect, and uh, I will say that the runtime uh, did kind of scare me off for a little while, um, but it, it so is worth it. it it's just an incredible incredible film the lead actress that justin mentioned is just astonishingly good in the in the role and she just really has to go through just a series of incredible transformations over the course of the three sections of this movie uh and you know there's a lot of stuff in there that is also really about the development of china over the last decade plus uh which are things that you know some of it i could understand and some of it i knew was being lost on me just because i'm not as intimately uh educated on like the current like socio-political environment in china uh but it was very interesting to see that type of material covered through this lens of this woman who's just been kind of you know she thought that she had something strong with this person who she loved deeply and was then so thoroughly betrayed by him and yet that relationship continued in such a complicated way uh, it's really an astonishing film. It's so beautiful to look at. So many sequences are just tremendous. And it has such a, specific, a specificity to it and such a appreciation of detail uh, that just it it's one of those films that I'm excited to go back and rewatch because I know that there's just so much love in every corner of the frame that really, really comes across. It's just a tremendous film. It's definitely one of the best films that I saw last year and uh, one of the best films of the decade. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be high up on my list. Uh, we'll see precisely where, but uh, yeah. And it's also really like it because it kind of goes through a series of genres as you're watching it. It also is very entertaining. You know, it's it's like I just I remember watching it and thinking like this is the movie that I wish the Irishman was honestly like this is <laughs> such a this and truly like it's it's it covers a lot of similar ground in a way. And it's just so much more interesting and so much well, more well done in, in a series of ways. I think that it's a 
definitely better cgi no cgi as far as i know um they use <laughs> they age their CGI. they age their characters with makeup could you believe it uh yeah, it actually works perfectly fine um mm-hmm. obviously it's a shorter Which amount of time than the irishman but still yeah. uh yeah i think anybody who who was like i wish that the irishman had more female characters in it like watch a- ashes purest white uh because you get the female character is the center of the film and it is so much more interesting for it yeah yeah all right i think from there we'll transition into our uh main review for this episode and that is actually another film from last year uh and one that I was very excited to check out. Um, and that is, of course, Atlantics. Uh, this is the film from uh, Maddie Diop, who uh, this is her first feature film. She actually has quite a few credits, though, beyond this. I was looking up. Uh, she's done a lot of shorts. She's done uh, documentaries. And uh, she's also been an actress. She was actually in a Claire Denis film, 35 Shots of Rum, as well as several other films. Um, but, uh, this film is set in Senegal, actually in the city of Dakar, uh, which is the capital of Senegal. It is, uh, on the coast. And actually, if you, I didn't realize this, but it's like pretty much on like the one segment of Senegal that juts out into the ocean, um, which is appropriate because this film is very centered on the Atlantic ocean. I would say this film and the lighthouse probably have the most <laughs> profound port- <laughs> portraits of the Atlantic ocean that I've seen <laughs> in recent years well very very effective use of of shots of water and of waves and quite different uh there's a level of violence in in the lighthouse that that here it's more i would say it's still like has this vaguely sinister quality but it's not quite as overt um but this there's is no tentacle monster yes that that we know of um but <laughs> uh this centers on no seagulls were harmed in the making of this movie this centers on a girl, just as a general summary, this centers on a girl named Ada, who uh, is betrothed to be married to a, a wealthy gentleman who that's been set up by her parents. Uh, she actually has a secret lover, Suleiman, who uh, we learn has apparently, along with several other uh, construction workers, several of his friends, has attempted to make the journey, uh, a very treacherous journey, from Senegal to Spain in search of a better life. Uh, and they have at the very least been lost. Uh, it's whether they, whether they drown, it's not at least at first, not initially clear what happened to them, but they are gone. And I'll just say certain things start happening. Certain supernatural things start happening, uh, in, uh, the immediate vicinity. And, uh, there is an investigation into a series of arsons that seem to have occurred and uh, I don't want to say too much more than that. I guess before we get into uh, any of our thoughts on this, did we? I just wanted to ask: Do we want to make this a full like spoiler discussion? Or yeah, I mean, it's available on Netflix, okay. and I think that anybody who's interested in it should see it and then okay. check back with us for this yeah. discussion. I didn't get a chance to rewatch it specifically for this discussion, but I have seen it previously. Um, and it was one of my favorite films of the year. It made my top 10 list. Um, and I think what I spoke about when in previous episodes about why I liked this film so much was just because it is this sort of like uh, this emotional, um, spiritual, like non-horror 
ghost story. Uh, and I, that's just such a intriguing genre of film for me. And I, this movie really brought uh, to mind Personal Shopper, which was a film that I loved from a few years I ago. I just thought that. Yeah. And that is it's like, I wonder if Alex is going to bring that up. Yeah. And it, because it's that like, it's that type of idea of like having like the past haunt us and having our loved ones come back mm. to us in these ways uh without it having this kind of like scary movie like uh yeah, accent like not to necessarily it, it just, yeah like not like a haunting not necessarily being a bad thing but also being an act of love yes which is i think mm. more honestly like like it's it's western culture's fault that we've mm. like ruined the idea of ghosts i think <laughs> because we've just <laughs> kind of especially in in mm. like film you just it's just ghosts are always scary and evil and then maybe you find out actually they're not so bad by the end but they're at least scary in the beginning and i just like the way that this film handles that as an opportunity to tell a more metaphorical conversation about loss and about grief and about longing and about love and i think that this movie does all of that so powerfully while saying something really interesting about like economic struggle and the pressures that are on different types of people the way that it interacts with gender in this particular society which is different from ours but it definitely i think there's a lot that you could relate to um and it and it's just an interesting world that I've never seen before. And that alone makes it a captivating film. Uh, you know, like one of the best things about watching international cinema is that you really get to have these windows into worlds that you'll never have the opportunity to walk through. And uh, I think that this is an excellent example of that as well. Um, and finally, just the lead actress is just so, so strong and so great. Mm. And I just, I thought that mm. she gave a wonderful performance and, and I just loved every every bit of it. I, I was consistently surprised and intrigued as I as every subsequent scene went along, and uh, I left feeling very moved. So that's why it was in my top ten. I really liked the entire main female cast of this movie. Hmm. I thought this is an incredibly well cast film. What did you What did you think overall, Noah? Uh, real, I really liked it. I thought you know after the first couple scenes, I thought I had a peg on where the movie was going hmm. and i sort of did like i mean economic disparity um and deprivation and gender disparity are central themes of the movie but it, it takes turns that i was in no way anticipating and it ended up being a very different type of movie uh by the end than what i'd expected but in i mean that in the best possible sense hmm. um like this is the good example of a movie starting on what you think is going to be you know a fairly a fairly well-worn path in terms of storytelling but then going off into a whole new direction that i've never i've never quite seen before excellent use of music as well to to set this sort of ambient ethereal tone especially yeah. during many of the films uh very decisive night scenes yeah um uh, an amazing use of, like some of the reveals are have all like are all revealed or are handled in regards to the camera and where the characters are relative to mirrors. Uh, and that's mm. just a, a fantastic use of visual storytelling that, you know, a lot of movies don't have the guts to try and take advantage of. I was very impressed by this film. I think just the way uh, the visual palette, I think, is quite dynamic. Um, a lot of the daytime scenes are like kind of near the coast. And so you have this like you have like the white of the sky with the white of the beach. And it just like it's almost like overpowering. 
Um, and then you contrast yeah, that. Yeah, like it's very blinding. Right, and you contrast that with like the nightclub scenes, for example, which are these like deep blues and, and purples and greens. And I just think it's it's just gives you a, a window into the world that these people live in and how um, and sort of who they are in these different spaces. I just think is I think that was really fascinating. I also loved how the supernatural elements uh, are incorporated into this film. I think just this I just the idea alone is pretty interesting of this. Whether you want to call them ghosts or I was thinking of like zombies not in the sense of the undead necessarily but in the sense of possession i believe that's like where that word comes from is more that idea of like controlling other people like controlling other people's bodies um that how that aspect is incorporated here i think is really interesting because there is i think a little bit of time where it seems like oh like like it's it is treated like this supernatural like almost unbelievable thing, but it kind of like settles in and almost becomes just another part of the fabric of this world. Um, and I think it's like that, I, this is kind of getting toward the end of the movie, but the scene where they're having the guy dig the graves uh, for the for the, the boys who perished. And they're just like making jokes about how he can't even, he doesn't even know how to dig. I mean, it just like, it, it almost seems, it's almost like undercutting mm. what we would expect in that moment of these, like, of these forces that are like beyond our world and, and just kind of like bringing, almost like making it a lot more grounded. I just thought that was such an interesting approach to that kind of thing. And I also just loved how this film, by the end, I think sort of starts off as you think it's going to be a love story. And I guess it, it sort of is, but it's also about, this this young woman sort of coming into her own and deciding who she's going to be um, by the end of it. And I thought that was really powerful and another way of sort of undercutting her expectations. So there's a lot going on here. And uh, and I agree, like it, it did seem like I can't I can't honestly say I've seen something quite like it <laughs> recently no. or or in other years so yeah and that's and that's a rare thing to find a movie that you really that is truly unique in its in its composition and in its tone and in its experience and this is definitely that i think that it's also like it's just it says so much about the power of like the art of cinema which i know that sounds very kind of obnoxious but just like the fact that they're able to do like to create this tone and create this dynamic and do all of this on such a small budget is just really really impressive like the amount that they get out of using their score while showing that kind of like ominous like deep ocean just like mm. That alone has such a powerful effect. I've never seen the ocean filmed in that way before. Yeah. And it's just so foreboding and and just so emotive in a way that's just really powerful in a very dark and, and emotional sense. And just like as you were saying earlier, like the way that they use mirrors to kind of like that one love scene uh, towards the end of the film where our main character is kind of finally embracing her her former love. Uh, who has passed on like just the subtle way that they just use the use mirrors to tell that story instead of needing all this like visual effects or anything like that it's just so effective and it's so understated and that under understatedness helps ground it in a reality despite the supernatural quality to it and yeah. it really it really says a lot about like sometimes it is better to go smaller than bigger when it comes to these sorts of things 
Yeah. And, and how, yeah. I, I don't know if this was the same for you guys, but I know for me, when you see, uh, these sort of possessed bodies that are in the foreground and then they'd kind of be like in the background, you would see their reflections and see the reflections of the, of the construction workers of these, yes. of these boys have been lost. And I felt like the way that it didn't even seem to draw attention to it, like let us like, let us have that time to sort of see it for ourselves. I thought was just really smart and really subtle. Yes, I agree. It, mm. Again, it just, it adds to the realism of this very unreal sort of situation that mm. just has this kind of dual effect of making it feel more like relatable and more like it's from our world and yet also so yeah. much more unsettling as a result of that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I didn't, it's funny because I didn't realize until afterward that apparently a lot of like they're, we're, they're working with a lot of, uh, I know, I guess first time actors, I think is the more appropriate term. Um, because it just seemed like everyone just seemed to be on the same page. Like you could have fooled me into thinking these were like all veteran actors. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, and, I think that it's a, a case of just being very well cast and very well directed. Yeah. I'm very excited mm -hmm. to see what Manny Diop mm -hmm. does next because this is just such a tremendous mm. opening salvo for her career. The other thing I wanted to, another point I wanted to bring up that sort of is another visual motif in this is that the tower that they're actually building and the way that's revealed in the first scene was like, especially the way that she set, she set this tower off to the right. And then to the left, you have more of like a concrete construction and the way, it, the way that she's filmed is almost like that tower is like in this kind of fog. It almost looks like it shouldn't be there. Like it's this like weird ethereal thing that's just like sticking out and doesn't really seem to go with anything else. And it like almost made me question like, is it actually there or not? But then how that's tied into like this thing that they're building, I think is so ingenious and how it just seems to come back and, and how it relates to these construction workers. And it's almost like this weird harbinger or something. I just thought was a really cool um Really That's cool interesting. piece of visual filmmaking. Yeah, there, there's a great visual discontinuity between this massive. I think it's supposed to be a hotel. Like you see yeah. some ads for it, right? On televisions in the background, like helicopter shots, and then oh, the Grand Hotel opening or or whatever flashes across yeah. the screen. Um, but there's a it, it, there's a great contrast between that and it's this super like obviously very high tech futuristic design, like all these curvy, you know, huge sides. And then, like, the day-to-day the -day lives of these people are just, like, these tiny, like, yeah. compact, really run-down metal and stone shacks. Yeah. Uh, and those are the people who are building this, like, this, like, new paradise hotel or whatever it's supposed to be. <laughs> I did want to also ask you guys, what did you think of the – so there's sort of a – I guess you, there's, there's a subplot in which one of the – I don't know, subplot, plot, I mean – involving the uh a, this young detective who's trying to figure out the culprit of these arsons and uh we learn that he is apparently being possessed by the spirit of Suleiman. i was curious what you guys thought of that especially because um he eventually <laughs> effectively turns himself in at the end and i was curious what you thought about his sort of arc through this film because he's such he was a much bigger part of the movie than i expected him to be Yes. I felt bad for the guy. <laughs> he didn't ask for this. Well, I don't think he, he doesn't turn himself in. He quits. He quits the police force by the end of it is what happens, if I remember correctly. Was he not giving them like the visual evidence of himself? I think he was. It was a it was a USB stick. But it was of like his 
like he was showing that he was being possessed by something with that and then he quit and then he like was like i'm quitting the police force because this yeah. crazy stuff is happening and <laughs> I, i'm out like i don't know if yeah. that would hold up in a court of law like well your honor you can see my eyes were milky white but when you look at my eyes now they're brown ergo ghost possession <laughs> But um, overall, I really when that when he when he first came onto the scene, like as a character and you're just I just kept being like, why are we even spending any time with you? Like, you're not what I'm what I care about. Like, let's stay on the main plot. And Mm -hmm. and then as it went on, I just like that actor is so compelling that I just like fell in love with him and his performance. And I just kept being more and more engaged with what was happening with him as he was trying to figure out what was happening with him. And I mean, for me, I kind of figured it out pretty early on. I don't think that there's like a lot of uh, mystery to what's going on where he just like keeps falling asleep uh, and is unreachable during the times where like the weird stuff is happening. It's like, "Mm, I wonder what's going on. (laughs) But that being said, I still think that it was like him discovering it and figuring it out was really compelling and, and where he ends up with it, where he just kind of like, he realizes that his whole life is basically wrong and that he needs to do something else for the world because what he's doing is not helping anyone at all uh, is really, really interesting. And I really, really liked it. I do think that it's a little bit like, it's probably good to not question like consent that much when in this whole thing because it's just like she oh my does gosh, i didn't of, even think about that yeah it's yeah, like she is 100 like having sex with her boyfriend while he's possessing this guy who has nothing no consent has, has no agency in this at all. Form, yes yeah, yeah so i think that yeah. that is uh upsetting if you really start to think about like what his life would be like as he realizes what's happened um that is definitely a violation um but uh i i i just i really i liked that character and i liked that actor a lot and i really as i said like the more that i was with him the more i cared about him and that's the sign of good storytelling i I wondered at first i at first i assumed that well okay the spirits return to some person that they had a connection to in life but that seems to not be the case um and it seems there seems to be no logical connection that we're aware of as to okay why would this detective be the person that suleiman possesses um, to do all these things and you know why is one of the you know like the there's sort of within the the female characters there's sort of a, a divide between like the 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 clubbing you know party going mm-hmm. girls and the more uptight serious um tradition more traditional ones uh, but all of them are sort of drawn into this thing and it seems to be i i soon realized that okay there's not there's no one-to-one connection between like, oh, it was my cousin who was on that ship. And that's why the cousin spirit possesses this particular yeah. woman. Mm. Uh, but but I think what, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, okay, that's, that's all right, though. It's good to establish, okay, here's something that can happen in this world. But we're not going to sit down and explain like, here are the 10 rules of ghost possession in the nation of Senegal. Yeah. Like, that's how ghost possession works, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, I didn't like, really need that. That, would, that, that would spoil <laughs> that. That'd spoil it. If you... Sort of like Personal Shopper. If Personal Shopper tried at any point to explain some of the stuff that was happening, um, that would have just that would have broken the movie. Yeah, well, because it's, it's, it's a not... it's a metaphorical mood piece more than anything else. So, exactly. like having an, an info dump in the start of the third act to be like, "Here's what's happening," would just be awful. 
Like a witch doctor comes out of nowhere and he's like, I know what's happening. Oh boy. Or it's like, it turns out at every 34 years and the blue moon comes like, no, like we don't need any of that shit. <laughs> like there's no reason for it. All the women who live in this particular block of houses. And my understand, I don't want to go too far outside the movie, but my understanding is that a lot of the, um, she was kind of, Maddie Diop was actually drawing upon, she was drawing upon, uh, local traditions and mythologies but also like kind of inventing things to be specific to this film and i think that was the absolute right i think that's a really cool thing because it still makes it unpredictable um and yeah. uh, i think really really works for the context of this particular story um i also i really want to praise it's a small ass well you know the it was interesting to me how this film was set up and um, making some amount of attention about the fact that um, that Ada is engaged to this uh, to this wealthy man, and I almost at first I was like, okay, like how is that gonna? Okay, that's something like I've seen before in other movies. How is this film gonna gonna play that? And I thought it was interesting that kind of like when she decides that that she doesn't want to be married to him rather than the film making a big deal of it. He's just kind of like, fine. I don't, I don't really need you. Like, it's almost like, it's almost like he can afford, like he, he is so, he is at such a point that it's almost like this one thing that he can't have, like doesn't even matter um, to him. And I just thought that was like, I thought it was really interesting because we've seen this, that kind of story done so many times and we've usually see like this big, like to do about it. And this guy is like so wealthy and honestly doesn't even seem like he's like fully engaged with her most of the time that it almost seems like it seemed fitting for this particular story. So it was a way of like undercutting our expectations in a way that I found like really satisfying. Well, it was really good character work, um, that, yeah. that whole arc, because the idea is basically just like he is someone of significant status and privilege in this world um, and finances, you know. And so the fact that he is showing interest in her is meant to be like a compliment to her, you know, and right. the fact that she is at eventually just fully rejecting this, which is he's looking at as like a gift of his attention and his romantic interest he's not like heartbroken by it he's just like fine whatever like i don't yeah. need you like i don't if you yep. don't want it if you really don't want this then fine i don't want like i don't need you at all like i'm doing you yeah. a favor by being in this relationship which is just like a really <laughs> great way of just showing how unhealthy that relationship dynamic was to begin with you know mm -hmm. like that he would there's no real emotional investment that he has in her it just seems like he was attracted to her she was like a young pretty girl that he thought that he could use his influence to have like as yeah. a possession basically and when she's just like i don't care about the thing the status that you have i what you represent doesn't mean anything to me i don't love you i don't want to be with you he's like well whatever like if you don't appreciate <laughs> this then go away who cares about you it was like very like i think that i really i agree i appreciated that because that felt very real for the characters and it feels real to like the way that that sort of thing would happen in real life much more than yeah. like the whole idea of like like, oh, well, now that you've shown me that you don't want me, you're the only person who has never not wanted me, so now I want you a lot. Like, I feel like, no, <laughs> those guys usually are just like, whatever, I could find another one like you in a minute, yeah. you know, because they're horrible. <laughs> they don't suddenly, <laughs> I feel like most of the time they don't usually become like these jealous rage monsters because of it. they're just yeah. like, whatever, you're an item. I, now you're broken, I'll get a new one. And that's <laughs> very much how he was. Mm. Yeah. 
which to be clear, I'm not endorsing. I'm not saying that that is an appropriate way to go have a relationship. <laughs> Very important that's, to clarify. Yeah, that. I was just about to say. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the, the point is, is that that's why that was a bad situation mm-hmm. for her. And, uh, yeah. and I liked that they explored that in that way. Yeah. Any last thoughts? No, I mean, my final thought is just like everyone who didn't listen to us and decided to listen to the rest of this episode before watching it, like should go <laughs> out and watch this film because it's it's really yeah. it's a tremendous movie and it's really special. And well, yeah, and it's also a, a big part of it is the the atmosphere and the vibes of the film in the moment, separate from, you know, what the actual plot is uh, and what the actual story is. It's an it's an experience. It's a visual and audio. It's, a, it's an audiovisual experience. Yeah, an emotional experience more than anything else, honestly, like the the atmosphere that it sets and the mood that it creates and just like the the tones and the themes that it's playing with. They're just really powerful and moving and uh, and just it's incredibly well executed. And this for me is a perfect example of the best of what streaming services working outside the studio system can provide to filmmaking uh, in taking films like this that really are like hyper local or hypo regional in terms of the the story and characters and themes and the inspirations for it but can give it a global platform so that it's it's there for anyone who cares to find it you know yeah yeah absolutely it's i'm I'm so upset that it didn't end up making that uh best uh international feature films at the oscars category because it it was so close it was it was assumed to get in it made the short list everyone thought that it was going to get the nomination and and if and it fell it was the one of the big surprise of the of nomination morning was when it was not uh nominated and it's it's a real shame because that would have gotten it to so many more people who really would benefit from seeing it so i hope the fact that it exists on netflix will help people uh check it out because it really is a special movie and i i can't say enough how excited i am to see what maddie diab does next because if this is your first film like wow <laughs> yeah i mean like i said I, I i think it's it's one of those things where you see it and like i, I think to me it like just looking at her credits i'm like this is this feels like um a culmination of work and I don't know. It just I'm yeah. I'm curious to see what she does next. I also did want to really quickly mention there are two moments of uh, which are essentially, I suppose, monologues, maybe even soliloquies from Ada that are just like pure poetry. Um, especially the the very last one, uh, sort of the last few lines of this movie, um, which I don't want to spoil because I think I think they're worth it uh, for when you see it for the first time. Um, but they're incredibly, uh, the lines are incredibly evocative and, um, and really moving. So I just want to, I want to also credit that in addition to all the visual poetry, there's some, uh, some <laughs> actual some, poetry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The di- you know, it's, it's an absolutely beautiful. In the dictionary definition. Ending. Yeah. <laughs> the way the film ends in the final shot are, are really riveting. Yeah. Okay. All right. I guess we'll wrap things up there. Let's talk about where we can find everybody. And we'll start with you, Noah. All right. Well, all of my written material you can find in my blog at www.francenoir.blogspot.com. My top 25 films of the decade is up. Go check it out. Mm. I, apart from, in my opinion, Tree of Life being way too low on there, I'm still happy you made the list. And I still enjoyed reading your list. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you're wrong, I still liked reading it. 
you know well, they're another they're like another three dozen movies that i was also that i you know could i i could all i've just as easily justify putting on the list yes so i had to draw the line somewhere i'm happy it made the cut oh that's a i'll just say that i'm happy it made the cut <laughs> uh let's so for me you can find my work at the cinemaverick.com i also am on letterbox at the cinemaverick uh and yeah let's go to you alex where can we find your stuff so you can follow me on twitter and letterbox at media thinkings uh you can also check out my written work at uh thepopbreak.com where i am the tv editor uh and you can uh subscribe to the breakcast podcast on apple podcasts to, to listen to my tv podcast over there called tv break where we have a monthly discussion on uh, all the things going on in television in addition to all that you can follow our show at Cinema Joe's on Twitter, and uh, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and uh, all the rest. Thank you for that, sir. We want to thank all of our listeners and all of our subscribers. For now, for the Cinema Joe's, this is Justin signing off.